You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender diverse people. Produced at 3CR Community Radio in Nam, Melbourne, and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Fung Tran. Women on the Line acknowledges that this program is produced and presented on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and that their sovereignty was never ceded. We acknowledge their elders past and present, as well as the traditional owners of the land on which you're hearing us from. For decades, LGBTIQ plus individuals and collectives have been organising an annual summer camp or gathering in France called the Université d'été Euro-Méditerranéenne des Homosexualités, or UEEH, in order to promote the development and sharing of tools to fight discrimination and for mutual empowerment. On today's show, we speak with Croft, a participant and an organiser at UEEH who resides in France and is involved in different anarcho-feminist collectives, projects and political struggles. We speak about the history and evolution of the UEEH event, the work that goes into organising a gathering of this scale and we delve into the complexities and power dynamics of languages and translation work. So can you tell us about the history and involvement of Université d'été Euro-Méditerranéenne des Homosexualités? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So the first year that it happened, it's been going for a long time, actually. It started in 1979 in Marseille in the south of France. Um, It was an initiative of the group of homosexual liberation and supported by the mayor of Marseille. I don't know how that was possible, but it's pretty awesome. Um, In that first gathering, there were 400 participants, and that gathering in 1979 led to the creation of a group that was called the Emergency Committee Against Homosexual Repression, which was a mix of lots of different collectives who were organising all over France against homophobic discrimination, and they were also campaigning pretty hard to remove se- remove homosexuality from the international classification of diseases of the World Health Organization. And I guess they were somewhat successful in that because in the next edition of the international classification of diseases, homosexuality was no longer listed as being a a disease. However, gender, the idea of gender and the role that that plays in someone's identity was still listed as being a disease after that point. So it's kind of like a bit of a long-term thing. And the U- the UEEH, which was held first year in 1979, it was held again in 1981 and 1983. And then it had to stop from that point because of AIDS and because that was basically destroying all of the communities in France as it was in lots of other places at that point of time. As of 1999, a new group of people continued to organise it 
as far as I'm as far as I'm aware, in the um, early 2000s, the structure of the camp was kind of quite elitist. There was a lot of academics involved and who were invited to speak, and it was also held on a university campus, where it still is. But I guess just a different way of addressing these issues, where you have actually outside people who are coming to talk about this stuff. And in France. Um, Academic stuff is quite different from how it is in Australia because access is a real issue. Like, basically, in France, if you want to go to university, if you want to do higher education studies, you can't get on the dole. So you need to either have come from a rich family who can pay for your accommodation and food and study costs, or you need to work at the same time, which means that it's really inaccessible for a lot of people. So to have the level of education to be able to access academic way of speaking and talking about stuff in France is really quite limited to a select group of people. I think that as of 2003, the quite academic structure of the camp was changed and started to evolve into a more kind of non-hierarchical feminist structure, which is including people, a lot more diversity in the types of people who could access the spaces and the information which is written in like a, a layperson's word way of, instead of having sometimes in French you have sentences that are like 10 lines long. But, you know, it was a lot easier to understand than that. And also one thing that changed was that nobody was getting paid to organise it, whereas before there was people who had salaries to organise the camp. At that time it was held in an art school in Marseille, but from 2012... Financial issues in the school led to it needing to be held elsewhere. Um, it's quite unique because you do need, you basically need a, a university campus or some similar structure to be able to hold it because you need to have like kind of quite comfortable sleeping space for up to 400 or 500 people, as well as having showers, um, spaces for workshops to happen, outdoor space, and an industrial sized kitchen. So you kind of need to have quite a big space to be able to organise it. Do you think that says something about what's lacking in our communities, that there is no communal meeting space that can cater for lots of people to be able to stay there and cook there yeah, and live definitely. together? Yeah. It's only reserved for universities. And like you said, for a really long time, that was really only available for people who had the money, the privilege to be able to go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I would say that that's definitely one pretty big aspect. And it also that also ends up being problematic because of the financing for the event, which ends up costing a fair bit of money, mostly due to needing to hire the space where it's held. And, you know, like there's people who are asking for grants and getting money from where they can, but it still ends up being that, you know, every year it's kind of like a real struggle to be able to break even with the money and most of that is you know like if there was a space available like you said then that would mean that we wouldn't have these financial stress. What sorts of issues or priorities are raised at these gatherings? Well I was only going to the one last year so I can only speak about what was happening there. There were discussions organised because obviously there was the camp held last year in 2022 and then the one before that was in 2019 because of COVID that meant that it wasn't possible and also even if there was no more lockdown in France it was also for respect from people who are coming from other countries to be able to come along. 
Um, and so a lot of their discussions, like the big roundtable discussions last year, you know, roundtable but also accessible for anybody to take the microphone. It wasn't like a group that were talking and a group that were listening. It was talking about COVID and about health and about how that was affecting um, LGBTI communities in different places and to be able to kind of, I guess, support each other and also just to hear about what each other have been going through over those past two years and also to be able to discuss about what support networks had been set up that was more kind of based around mutual aid or stuff that was outside of the the strategies or the so-called solutions that were provided by the state during that time. So I think that was probably one of the priorities and there was a fair bit of space allowed for discussing about that. So Croft, you were saying that this gathering is self-organised. Can you tell us what that means? Yeah, sure. As I was saying earlier, um, since 2003, the UEEH camp is has been organised in a way that's more self-organised and non-hierarchical in structure, which means that any participant is able to take on a role, if they wish, in organising one or more aspects of the camp. And when we're talking about self-organised, it kind of, it's kind of ends up being something that, you know, you have the camp, which is 10 days in total, which means two days of setup. Um, I don't know, I guess five or six or seven days of actual discussions and workshops and films and everything else, and then another two days of pack down. But you also have throughout the year, there's also a lot of other organising to do in order to make it happen. So... You have people who are working in, who are organizing themselves within working groups who are during the year having discussions between themselves about their thematic or the, the topic that's relevant to their working group in order to make it function. And then there's also like a, another larger meeting that's kind of all the different working groups and everybody who's involved um, that happen in December. For organizing for the one for this year it just happened in Paris last month in December yeah and so that means that it's kind of like a, a full year organizing and so you have um yeah the working groups that are organizing in that way there's also different newsletters that get published so that people who aren't at those discussions can still access and see about what's happening uh, during the meeting, during the week itself, there's a few general meetings that happen which allow space for anybody to say something that they feel that is important to talk about. Um, and it's also a space for making decisions. And all decisions are made by consensus. It's not like a majority vote. It's like actually talking through everything and trying to figure out about what people um, feel most comfortable with. Um, and also during the week itself... All of the tasks that are required to keep the space running, that's also shared between the participants. So it's not like, you know, it's not like the same person gets stuck cleaning the toilets every day or something like that. So ideally there's like, there's a big, we had a, a big board set up with all different tasks and then people would allocate themselves to three tasks, three or four tasks during the week. So that meant that it was also quite shared out quite equally. Yeah. That sounds so incredible just to, to hear about. I feel like it's quite rare to, mm -mm. to hear about things organised that way. You mentioned that there are working groups. Can you talk us through what some of these are? Yeah, sure. So there's about 10 or so different working groups that are operating throughout the year to organise 
um, behind the scenes and then who are also present during the gathering. So I'll just go through them quickly here. Um, so there's one working group that is responsible for the logistics of the physical space and the administration involved in hiring it. And they also are looking after ensuring that the space is accessible for people with different needs, like um, people who might be in a wheelchair or people who are deaf or something like this. There's also a, a health working group, which are organising together to self-manage health during the week. And that includes people who may be trained in some maybe nursing or an alternative medicine technique, but also people who don't necessarily have that training, but who are interested in that topic. They bring along the harm reduction and first aid resources. Uh, last year, they were also coordinating uh, COVID tests for everybody that arrived to check that nobody was positive, to try not to have an outbreak at the space. Um, and there was also somebody who was coming for two days to do STD checks. And as like a subgroup of the health group is also a listening group who are available if there's any interpersonal conflicts that come up to be able to talk through this stuff because that has been an issue in the past and to also de-escalate situations because you need to think about the fact that if there's like a group of LGBTIQ plus people who are together like over 400 people or however many in the same space for a week when you think about you know the fact that if you're LGBTIQ plus likelihood is that you've experienced some level of trauma in your life maybe family rupture or something like that and you might also have neurodivergence. And then that means that you also have a lot of intersectionalities of oppressions when you think about people coming from different cultural groups and stuff like that as well and things they've experienced. So that means that there's like actually really high potential for conflict during the week. And that's come up a lot in the past, particularly um, in 2019 about racism. Yeah. So the idea is that there's actually something in place to try and take this on board and try and kind of do what you can, not necessarily just to de-escalate the situation, but also to kind of point out the, that there is a problem happening and to try and kind of figure out how to look after the people involved and also how to overcome this problem and to do a bit of self-critique around this as well. Yeah. I think that's really interesting, actually, yeah. to, to make space for it mm -hmm. um, as opposed to ignoring it and sweeping it under the rug yeah. and pretending that it doesn't exist because then it allows for for the gathering to be successful long term mm -hmm. and to continue to learn and bring people in as opposed to making them feel unwelcome exactly, or um, creating a hostile environment for yeah. certain people. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's trying to make it as accessible for people as it can be, but also like confronting people with their own privilege, which I think is something that's essential, especially because the majority of people who participate are white French-born people who have French as their first language and who haven't necessarily had to step out of that comfort zone. Mm. Or if they have, then it's still as being somebody who is has more privilege than the other people around. Were there any other groups that you wanted to talk to us about? Yep, so there's another four or five groups. So there's one group that's like their popular education group and they're the ones that are actually responsible for deciding about what discussions need to happen that year. Um, and they're also facilitating the program, so to make sure that there's space for the different workshops. They're not necessarily doing like the timetabling for the whole week, but just more like, okay, so we've reserved Monday from 10 till 2 p.m. to talk about this thing, so kind of blocking that bit out of the program just so that it can be available for that space and um, and that kind of thing. And they're also, you know, if they want to have a certain theme in the year, they're also organising film screenings and stuff like this. 
you also have the international communication team, which is vital to to this project, because this is people who live within the French territory as well as people who live outside of Europe who are working together. Who during the year they do the background work of having meetups during Zoom to be able to reinforce their networks as well as learning about how to apply for visas. That's something that I didn't mention yet, but there's actually a lot of people who are coming to this camp who are coming from other parts of the Mediterranean outside of Europe. Um, and so, you know, that's why this group is really essential for that. So they're learning about how to apply for visas and also how to use encrypted software to communicate, which is essential since a lot of people are coming from countries where homosexuality is still illegal so that they don't have to deal with any legal stuff out of that. So, yeah, and then there's also a lot of different LGBTI organisations that have been really closely connected with the UEH for a long time. And then there's also another team that's about financing. So that's the group that write the grants, determine about how much the week needs to cost for participants and also collect the money during the week. Um, however, all decisions made about financing are made collectively, so they're not making decisions on their own. Are there any particular working groups that you're involved with? Uh, yep, so I became involved, like last year was the first time that I went to um, this camp, and I was kind of pulled in really quickly and quite enthusiastically into a group that's called the Game of Tongues, which is a translation project. Um, so they're facilitating translation throughout the week. Last year, the languages that were translated were between French, Arabic, English and Spanish. In the past, there's also been German and Turkish translation, and I think Italian as well, and also French sign language. And it really depends about the capacity of people to translate as well as the needs of people who are present in terms of that. And then the focus of that group is to translate during the week as well as translate content year-round. So that includes the newsletter, emails, meeting minutes, the website and other things that need translating. So any promo for the week and stuff like that. The project is more about coordinating translations than doing them ourselves. In other words, we're not doing all of the translation work ourselves, but we're doing some of it and we're also seeking people who are interested to translate at some point during the gathering by holding short training sessions to empower people who are bilingual or multilingual to get involved. Um, this breaks down knowledge hierarchies imposed by their concept of somebody who has professional translation skills or who has a certain level of, of language and those who don't have those skills. And it's also like breaking down the idea of needing to be a professional in general to be able to translate. And the objective of the Game of Tongues project is to change the social dynamics caused by using French and English as the dominant languages and to make the space accessible to speakers of other languages. Another thing that the translation working group, the Game of Tongues, is working on is a project called the Lexicon, which is similar to a dictionary with or like a translation dictionary, you know, it has all of the terms that um been translated into all the different languages and also defining what they mean. So it's all the terms that are relevant to the LGBTIQ plus community. It was started in 2019 
And at the moment, it's been translated between French, English, Arabic, Castellano or Spanish and Italian. Um, it's quite helpful for people who are writing the newsletter, presentations of the working group during the year. And there's also a paper copy of it on the table when there's translation happening during the gathering. It's also available to be used during other LGBTIQ plus gatherings. It's not exclusive for the UEEH. In this way, it's quite a valuable tool that can further support many aspects of the queer social and individual identity. The words, terms and concepts being used, circulated, reappropriated and invented by queer people are evidence of the capacity of languages to evolve, as well as recognition of each other as existing in many diverse places depending on one's migration status as well as local contexts. You've been listening to Croft speaking to us about the various working groups that contribute to the organising of the UEEH summer camp in France. Across these stolen lands, now called Australia, you've been listening to Women on the Line, highlighting a range of gender non-conforming and women voices broadcast on the Community Radio Network. We now return to our discussion with Croft. You were saying that this event is run in France, and I imagine that a lot of people there speak French. Do you think that people are aware of any sort of hierarchy of languages? I've got a whole manifesto here. <laughs> Amazing, yeah. <laughs> that I didn't write. It was written before I joined the team, but it is really nice, and I'm pretty excited to be part of a project that has this approach to language. So I'll read it out. Speaking in your own language means being able to express yourself with your own words, using language that's personal and familiar, with all the intimacy and nuances each particular language contains. Having access to interpretation services results in participants being able to express themselves in the language in which they feel most comfortable and with greater precision, helping us to better relate to each other. Multilingual spaces are an alternative to a historical pattern of oppression and domination based on language. It helps individuals and communities to feel connected to their language, culture, familiar self-expression and themselves as a linguistic being. It's based on the idea that you shouldn't have to speak and comprehend uniquely in the or one of the dominant languages in order to be heard or participate. Our working group seeks to make the conceptual and physical architecture of the space collaborative and welcoming people from diverse linguistic backgrounds. Another reason we want to work on translation issues is because there's the concept of Euro-Mediterranean in UEEH. This word implies a reflection on the growth of Europe as a new empire and about the relations between Europe and other countries within the Mediterranean region of which there are many. Indeed, the history of country, countries from Mediterranean territories is directly related to the French territory through colonisation, as well as north-south geopolitical relations with Europe as one entity, and co other countries in the region which are othered and somehow seen as less important. 
Languages are socio-politically and culturally placed in a hierarchy according to their proximity to power and legitimacy. Certain dominant languages can exercise their authority on the oral and written spaces of communication, but are not available to all participants. So with this Game of Tongues project, by organizing translation, we recognize the social and political dimensions of language and linguistic accessibility while working to dismantle language barriers. We aim to facilitate better circulation and sharing of knowledge, especially queer feminist narratives across cultural and linguistic power dynamics. In doing this, we want to transform translation as a space open to the articulation between dominance and resistance. Our aim is to conceive of our translation practices and to rethink queer and translation and queer in translation without putting aside the post-colonial aspects nor producing a white universalist abstraction by default. To do this requires a radical reimagining of alternative multilingual spaces. Therefore, we have to consider the scope of translation, the socio-political system it's based within, the underlying objectives, which tools we should work on, how it's done, for who and by who. The translation of written language allows conversations to continue outside of the physical, spoken multilingual spaces we create. When we translate materials, participants could take them away from workshops and activities and share them with their communities. Through this, we can move from simply holding an event to furthering a process and aiming to restructure the way that LGBTI identity is being held within diverse communities and cultures and countries. That was Croft reading an excerpt from the Manifesto on Translations, written by the Game of Tongues Project as part of the Université d'été Euro-Méditerranéenne des Homosexualités, a summer camp held in France each year where LGBTIQ individuals and collectives from around the world come together to have collective discussions around activism strategies and solidarity. If you would like to find out more about this event, please go to www.ueeh.net. That's all for Women on the Line today. We would love to hear any comments or thoughts you have about the program. So please send us an email at womenontheline at gmail.com or give us a call at 3CR on 03 9419 That's 03 9419 You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Nam, Melbourne, and broadcast across the continent on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. All Women on the Line programs can be downloaded at www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. I'm Fung Tran. 
Tune into Women on the Line next week on your community radio station. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.